Well, last week, we talked about um, how Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And I, I, I even misquoted it there. We, we learned that he's not head of the church as a CEO, but he's head of the body, the church, much in the same way that our head uh, interacts with our body, our human body. That's how Jesus is to the church. He's the head as our head is to our body. And as that head, and you can go up and put up that first slide if you'd like, as the head to our body, he is the one who is calling the shots. He is the head of the church, and he's directing it and guiding it. And so uh, when we see this this passage of, of Scripture, and he is the head of the body, the church, that means that he's guiding it. He directs every function of it. That's the way a healthy church operates, is when it's totally responsive to the head, to Jesus. And we believe that that's the case at ET, and that's what we're we're just um, contending for in this transition period, is that we're hearing from the head, and we're, we're doing his will, and we're moving forward under his direction. Three things that uh, we picked up on last week that I think are so foundational and things that I know that Jesus the head is saying to us. When he left, the very night that he was betrayed, just before he was crucified, he gave something that was very unusual. He said, I'm giving you a new commandment. It would be the equivalent of saying, here's number 11. You've heard of 10, here's number 11. You know, he didn't say it in those terms. And he had never said this before. He never said, I'm giving you a new commandment. But he did that night. And the commandment was, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. That was the command. And it wasn't intended only for his disciples, but it was intended for us who were many centuries removed from that evening. And his intent for us as the church, he's still saying it to the body. He's still saying it as the head to the body. Love one another. Love one another. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Another thing that was very significant about that night was his prayer. One or more of the disciples evidently heard him praying. Um, after this time, after he gave that command. And part of his prayer was for the disciples themselves, and that's recorded in the first part of John 17. But as we get to verse 20, Jesus prayed for us, people that would believe in Jesus through the testimony of the disciples. Now, I, I wasn't saved because Peter personally stood in front of me and led me to Christ, but... Somewhere along the line, the disciples gave a message that eventually reached my grandparents who taught my parents and led them to the Lord, and then they led me. And so I'm this person, and you're this person today. Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus prayed that night 
that we would be one. And he's still praying it today. That's still the directive that the head is giving to the body, to E.T. and to all the body of Christ. It's be united, be one in your love for me. Be one in the direction that I give you. Be one in your mission for reaching people for Jesus. One thing that is so important to loving one another and to being one is this thing about forgiveness. So Jesus gave us the command. He prayed that we would be one. And he taught forgiveness. He taught it um, so powerfully. He linked it to effectiveness in prayer. If we could look at Mark eleven twenty five, 25. Uh, Jesus, just after he had caused a fig tree to wither. And he said, you can do these kinds of things if you just believe. He said this in the very next breath. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. And on another occasion, after teaching the Lord's Prayer, he said this. He said, for if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. He was, he was impressing upon his followers at that time the importance of forgiveness. It's so much in our DNA. Jesus is a forgiver. God is a forgiver. Sending Jesus to this world was all about forgiveness. The communion that we celebrated this morning is a remembrance of his, his forgiveness. We sit here in worship today because of his forgiveness. He intends for us to pass it on. Forgiveness is something that we don't just we receive, we give it. And Jesus didn't say, forgive people that love you. He said, forgive those that sin against you. And so he's, he's uh, raising the bar on forgiveness. It's not forgiving people that are normally kind to you necessarily, although it would be them, but it's forgiving anyone who sinned against you. I'm so impressed uh, every time I think of this interview that I saw on TV, and you might remember the black church in um, oh, uh, Charlotte's, Charlotte, South Carolina. On June 17th, 2015, a group of believers had gathered for a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. And a young man came in that wasn't part of the church, and he sat, and he participated in the service for an hour. And after an hour, he stood and pulled a weapon and began to shoot people in the service. And he killed nine people and injured others. And here's this church doing what God had called them to do, worshiping together, studying his word, praying. And they were, they were killed. About a year later, one of the TV networks did an interview of three of the ladies that had been in that service. One of them had lost a husband. I forget the circumstances of the other two that were interviewed. But 
a secular news person is interviewing them. And she said to them, how do you feel about that young man who came in and created all this havoc in your church? And their response was, and it wasn't an arrogant, flippant kind of response, but they sort of looked at each other and they said, we've chosen to forgive him. And I, th I think the news person knew that that response was coming, otherwise they wouldn't have shown this, but there was shock. How can you forgive? How can you forgive? And again, I don't remember all the details, but I do remember this, that they felt as though Jesus had set an example for them in forgiveness. And they were in turn forgiving because Jesus had asked them to forgive and he had shown forgiveness and he had demonstrated forgiveness. Now, we've got a, a big order. And by the way, I, um, I just felt directed today to go back and look at those three things that we talked about last week. That is loving one another, being one, and forgiving. And talking about how can we make these things a reality in our lives. We need this right now during our transition period. We as a church, we need to love each other. We need there not, for there, there not to be anything in between us as believers. We need to be one as we move forward. We need to be forgiving of things that have happened that have hurt. How do we do that? It's all, it all begins in our, in our thoughts. It begins in our thoughts. We, leaned, we need to learn to know what to say no to. We need to learn to say no to the right things. I'm talking about thoughts. I'm not talking about, you know, don't do this, don't do that. I'm talking about what we think. Because temptations come into all of our minds on a daily basis from the enemy who likes to tempt us to think thoughts that will lead to actions. It's no secret to any of us that we don't do anything that we haven't thought about. Or maybe most of us anyway. I think sometimes I do things without thinking, but really I've thought ahead of time. If you're gonna say something, you think about it ahead of time and you say it. It may be a split second, but you've thought about it and you say it. If you think about something a lot, you'll probably talk about it a lot. If you think about something, you'll probably end up doing it. I remember when we lived in the, the Northwest and um, I thought a lot about getting out into God's creation and hiking. I, I love to hike and I thought about it a lot and I talked to people who did it. Guess what I did in my spare time? I hiked because I had thought about it. You'll do the same thing. Things you think about, you'll do or you'll talk about. It's important that we know what thoughts to keep from our minds. If we're thinking about revenge, 
We'll get revenge. We'll seek it. If we're thinking about how bad a person is, we'll end up talking about that person to someone else. We need to know what to say no to. Paul had a great way of expressing this need in our lives, and I'd like us to look at it. It's in 2 Corinthians 10.5. It goes like this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This is the part I want you to really catch. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We try to control a lot of things, don't we? We try to control our environment so that we're comfortable. We try to control our finances so that we have enough for a rainy day. We try to control other people, sadly. Paul is saying, control your thoughts. Control your thoughts. With the help of the Holy Spirit, when a thought comes into your mind that you know is going to take you against the principle of love or against the prayer for unity or against the teaching that Jesus taught about forgiveness, get rid of that thought. Take your thoughts captive. I think that Many of us have thought that we don't have control over our thoughts, that thoughts just come and they come, and if you just don't do the things that are bad, you're okay. I think Paul is saying, no, stop it at the thought level. Take captive those thoughts. Don't let them settle in your mind, because if they do, we'll end up doing the things that we've been thinking about. So we need to take our thoughts captive. Let's be control freaks when it comes to our thoughts, okay? Let's be control freaks when it comes to our thoughts. I think that would please the Lord. Here's the, the next thing. We know, need to know what to say yes to. We need to know what to allow to come into our mind. In fact, perhaps it's not so much allow, but we need to know what to what to focus our thoughts on. We need to know what actively to think about. And we can do that. We can make that choice. Philippians 4.8 says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Wow. And you know, it's good to run the whole list. There's a lot of things that are true out there that aren't worth thinking about. I don't want to think about somebody's sadistic activities in killing someone. That event is true, it happened. But it's not worth thinking about. It's not noble. It's not right. It's not pure. It's not lovely. It's not admirable. So we need to think about things that lift. Things that take us into the presence of God. Things that are characteristic of Jesus. Things that he's commanded us to think about like loving. Things that he prayed for us concerning like being united. 
things that he taught us like forgiving. One of the thoughts that is, is uh, most difficult for kingdom work and kingdom principles is our thoughts of fear. I think it would be safe to say that if you probe, if you take um, a line of thought of, of where something began, and you take the, the most negative actions and thoughts and words, many times those trails go back to an original impulse of fear. We talked about being a control freak in our thoughts, but what about control freak in a negative sense? Where does that start? It starts with fear. Fear that if I'm not in control, everything's going to be bad and, and things aren't going to go well for me. And so we grab control so that that won't happen. Fear. You remember King Saul? He was appointed by God as king over Israel. And initially he did, uh, he did some good things. There was a, an amazing battle that he fought on behalf of uh, Jabesh Gilead and um, won a great victory. And then some things happened. He was to wait for Samuel to offer a sacrifice be, before going into battle and at Gilgal. And as, as soldiers began to leave because things weren't happening quick enough, he became afraid. And so he grabbed control and he offered the sacrifice. And it was displeasing to God because he had disobeyed the pattern that God had established. Another occasion, he had received orders from God as he fought the Amalekites, destroy everything that breathes. Women, children, animals. He goes into battle. And the battle takes place and he comes back to camp and Samuel comes into camp and he says, Saul, I hear cattle. I hear sheep. Oh, oh. well, we did, we, we fulfilled the Lord's command, but we knew that we needed some good animals for sacrifices. And when it boiled down to it, at the very end when Saul realized that things were over for him, he said, I was afraid. I was afraid of the men because they wanted to grab some of the plunder and I was afraid of them. Do you see what fear does? Proverbs has a, a passage that I think is, is hugely helpful. The fear of man brings a snare but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. The fear of man brings a snare every time. We know the end of Saul. His fear just kept mushrooming. When David did mighty works on behalf of God, Saul became afraid of him, that he was getting more popular than him. And, and fear just drove his life. We need to say no to fear in our lives. We need to pray and ask God to deliver us from fear. 
Fear will destroy our, our life as a Christian, our life as a church, if we allow fear to be the primary motivator in our lives and in our church. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Where does fear come from? Does it come from God? No. What's the opposite of fear? It's faith, isn't it? It's trust. And so those are the things God is building into our lives. He's, He's building into our lives a trust in him, a faith in him. I think of the passage in Jeremiah 29, 11. And it's not in the, uh, the scripture that I gave you this morning, but here's the passage, and many of you know this by heart. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's the kind of thing that God has in mind for us. And yet Satan will sit on our shoulder and tell us, God's got it in for you. He's out to get you. And we believe him. And then we respond in fear to the things that are happening around us. And it's destructive to ourselves and to others. We need to believe what the Bible says about our Heavenly Father. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And this is when Israel, they were captive in Babylon. They had been punished for their sins, but God couldn't leave it there. Even for these sinners, he had good things in store. He was planning something good for them. Are you a sinner? I am. He's planning something good for you. Trust in him. Look to him. And he will bring it about. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. There's a a little verse in the psalm, Psalm 56.3. I'd like for us to end with that today. And this is one that I made a little... A song out of that I sing to myself almost every week. I don't know if you can find it, Psalm 56.3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. So what do you do when you're afraid? You trust in the Lord. You say, well, I can't trust if I'm afraid. Those two things are opposite. That's the point. God's trying to get us. And David, who wrote this psalm, is saying... When I'm afraid, I need, to, I need to get a grip on my thoughts. Just like Paul said, I bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Has, Christ. has Christ ordered us to be afraid? He's ordered us to trust in him and to believe. And so when I'm afraid, I'm going to go against that fear. And I'm going to take those thoughts captive. And I'm going to put my trust in you, dear Lord. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In Peter is the verse uh, that we need to, re- or no, I guess it's in James 4 7. Do we have that on our, our screen this morning? James 4 7 says this Submit yourselves then to God, 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When we resist fear, it will leave. When we resist fear, it will leave. Stay the course. Take thoughts captive. Let's be the lovers that Christ wanted us to be. Let's be united like he prayed we would be. Let's forgive like he instructed us to forgive. Hallelujah. I'd like to ask uh, Elaine if you would come to the organ. We want to end our service today with a time of prayer like we did last week. I want to just thank you personally for, and not personally, but more on behalf of the church for your commitment to prayer. Last week, when, when we asked you to fill out the prayer card in the seat back in front of you, 113 of you filled out a card or sent an email saying that you would commit to praying 15 minutes a day uh, for Evangel Temple during this time of transition. 113 of you, that's 28 hours of prayer every day going up for this church and for God's will in this situation. If you didn't get a chance to do that last week, would you take that card and just write on it, I will pray 15 minutes a day uh, during the transition, and then sign your name and drop it in the basket that's out in the lobby as you leave today. We'd like to know that um, you're joining us in that time of prayer. Um, I believe that God wants us to have uh, 40 hours of prayer every day. And that would be just a few more people. And if you could join us, if you haven't had a chance, I'd like you to do that. But today, as we end our service, I would like for you to come to the front of this, the church and I'll ask you to stand in just a minute. And what we'll do is we'll spend about five minutes together in corporate prayer around the front of the altars here. And the purpose will be just to seek God. Perhaps you need to seek and cement some of the things that you've heard this morning or some of the things you've felt the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And do that as we come together at the front of the church. Uh, perhaps you'd like to pray for the church. You might want to seek somebody out that uh, can pray with you about something. That would be fine. Coming together around the front is is um, there's a power in um, agreeing to do something together. And that's, that's sort of the idea behind this. It's something that many of you remember from years past, how we would gather at the altars at the end of a service. And we can't spend hours here this morning, but we can spend a few minutes. And so I'd like you to stand at this time.